Thank you, thank you. Give God all that glory. It's good to be here this morning, and uh, when uh, Pastor Michael called me, I was glad to come and fill in because pastors need a break these days. I mean, everywhere I turn, pastors are overwhelmed, pastors are stepping out, and God forbid, and I'm just thankful that bless you're blessed that you gave him some time with his family because that's so important and i'm constantly reminded that god created the family before he created the church and all of us you got to be there for your families especially in a christ-like environment well finding joy in difficult times do any of us have trouble finding joy today in the state our world is in well one way that can help us out is leave the tv off turn the news off and uh, Greg Laurie made a quote. I've heard, I listen to him on the radio every day as I'm working around the house and doing different things. And he's talking about those cell phones, those smartphones. And he said, if that's a major distraction for you, then get one of those dumb phones so you don't have all those distractions. He said, you can get one that just makes phone calls and that's it. But I don't know if I could do that myself. Okay, well, let's jump into Philippians here. In uh, chapter 1, I just want to give us a little bit of background before I get into chapter 4. Philippians uh, chapter 1, verses 3 through 11 there. Paul is saying, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now think about as you're hearing these words that Paul is in prison. Paul is not in the best conditions. So think about if he's saying this to you right now. So he that has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ, just as it is right for me to think this of you all because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense of the confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of this grace. For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. And now this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. May God bless His Word. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, just help my voice this morning. And Lord, I just thank You for Your presence in this place. I thank You for the praise team and Lord, that they have led us to the throne this morning as we have sang praises to your name. Lord, I thank you for the, the many that have, as this Memorial Day weekend, as we reflect on friends and family members that may have given their all, Lord, for the freedom that we have to be in this place right now. As Lord, as we think about some of our missionaries that may not have so much freedom to do so and they have to meet in secret lord we have so much to be thankful for and most of all we thank you for the freedom that we have in jesus christ 
And for that price he paid on the cross and rose again. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So how do we find joy around us when the world is constantly seems to be stealing our joy everywhere we turn? The pandemic with COVID, <clears throat> they try to scare us every time you turn the, the radio on or the TV on. It's now 2022. Two years have gone by and this started in 2020. And they're still looking for ways to protect us and keep us safe. And I see everybody here seems pretty comfortable. We're sitting here. We're in God's house. We're together. We're fellowshipping together. And we have to trust God in each and every step that we take. We worry about gas prices, food prices, maybe our retirement accounts, the war in Ukraine. Everybody seems anxious. One quote I, I wrote down, Corey Ten Boom was a Holocaust survivor during Jewish persecution. And she has this quote, Look without and be distressed, which means looking at all that's going on around us and thinking that, how in the world am I going to fix it? We can't. It's stressful. Look within and say, you know, within yourself. You know, the world says positive thinking, self-help. You're going to be depressed. And then the third thing she says, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus and be at rest. Be at peace. And I loved when she said that because it's so true. You know, we look at all that's going on around us and we get stressed, we get anxious. And as we move into Philippians chapter 4, we'll see how we can deal with that. Paul wrote the letter to the Philippian church as I was reading there in chapter 1. He wanted to come back to Philippi to check on the people where he had started this church, but of course he's in jail and he couldn't do that. So he wrote this letter to encourage them. And I mentioned, how do you think we would feel today if someone, say maybe a missionary that we would be supporting, would be in prison and would be writing this to us today to encourage us. That is what Paul is doing for the church at Philippi, and it applies to us today. We would likely be thinking when we read this, wow, I need to be encouraging them. They're the one who needs encouragement. They're in prison. They're, they're in jail. They're in the worst of conditions. And yet they're taking the time to write and encourage us. And the points that I want you to remember, and I'll remind us again at the end, verses 4 through 5, we find joy in rejoicing. And then in verses 6 through 7, we find joy in prayer, in praying. And then in verses 8 through 9, we find joy meditating, reading God's Word. So those are three things to think about. And I'll mention them again. So going into chapter 4, and this chapter has always been special to my wife and I. <clears throat> when we were um, at East Taylorsville Baptist years ago in Taylorsville, North Carolina, um, one of our youth had become a school teacher and she, uh, she got sick and doctors couldn't figure it out. She would get well and then she would get sick again. This was her favorite passage. And I remember... Pam telling my wife that I can be anxious for nothing by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. And we were saying, Pam, you know, you're sick and we don't know how many days you have left. How can you say you're anxious for nothing? 
She says, because I know where my hope is. I know where my hope lies in Jesus Christ. So let's pick up in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all people. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, Paul says, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Some powerful words there. And, you know, just to read it, say, well, that all sounds good, but how can we apply that to our lives? How can we actually do that? Rejoice in the Lord always. Paul tells the Thessalonians the same thing. In 1 Thessalonians 5.18, Paul says, Give thanks in all circumstances. Rejoice in the Lord always. Two times in the same verse. In the first four chapters we picked up in chapter 1, Paul mentioned joy and rejoicing. In chapter 4, he's saying rejoice. He concluded with uh, rejoice in the Lord always in verse 4. About 16 times Paul used the idea of joy or rejoice in those first four chapters. Do you think he's trying to get a point across there? And remember, he's in prison. And Paul has been beaten. He's been stoned and left for dead. Thrown in prison. Ridiculed. All his time he's given his time to the Lord. And remember, Paul was a Jewish Pharisee. And a, a, you know, a Jewish teacher who knew the Bible, the Old Testament, backwards and forwards. He was one of the best leaders that the Jews had. And he thought he had all the answers. But Jesus met him on that road that he thought he was going to do something for God. And he met Jesus and he was never the same. And Paul said, I give up all of that. I give up all my degrees all that education, all that training, if I can just make a difference for Jesus Christ. All my material goods, none of that matters. And that is why he can sit in a jail cell and focus on Christ and encourage others. So think about it. Where do we stand and how can we encourage others? We've got to keep our focus on Jesus Christ. Paul knew from the experience with Jesus. Jesus is with us in every circumstance. And he says, again, I say rejoice. 1 Thessalonians 5.16 says, Rejoice always. And I asked this question before. You saw in uh, your bulletin, I think it had a little brief information about me and my family. I met my wife when I was 19 years old at Appalachian State. I was running cross country at the time, stayed on the injured list. I was probably the worst one on the team. (laughs) I survived, I can say that. But uh, my wife and I got very active in the uh, Baptist uh, Student Center at that time. And we uh, connected through Bible study in different ways. And my wife uh, played piano and sang. So 
our ministry, we began, you know, going on weekends to churches and different things. And there was a time, because I was, when I was younger, I was the one who sat in the back of the classroom. I was the quiet one who never said much. I said, I'll never get in front of people and talk. I just can't do that. And uh, God had a different plan. He had a different idea. You know, those who are weak, they're strong in Christ, right? He has, he has a different plan for all of us. And the last church I was in was in Lenore, and everything was going great. My wife was teaching, and um, she had felt led to uh, train elementary ed teachers. And we were seeking uh, University of Appalachian, Garden Web, different places. We said, I can drive what, an hour or so. And God opened the door at a Baptist college in near Charleston, South Carolina, Charleston Southern University. It's an awesome Southern Baptist conservative Christian school. But we moved there in July of 13. In November of 13, I was jogging around the neighborhood and my phone rang. And it was one of my wife's colleagues saying, you need to get here now. Your wife has passed out. I said, okay, I'll get there as quick as I can. I get there and she's gone and uh, her supervisor puts me in his car and we go to the hospital and that was when she found out in November of 13. We had just moved there in July of 13 that she had a brain tumor. And they said, it's, it's benign. We can take care of it. And they did. And my wife went on another year before anything happened. And during that year, her mom was 91 in Hickory and had a situation with her heart. So guess what? 91-year-old mother-in-law comes to live with us in South Carolina because the doctor comes in the room and says, I see your son-in-law and your daughter here, and here's two choices. You can go stay in a rest home, or you can go home with them. And, of course, my mother-in-law is very independent. She's 91 and had been on her own for quite a while. And she said, i got to think about this. But she ended up with us. And as time went on, in six years' time, my, my wife had four brain surgeries, two gamma knife surgeries, and I can't count the radiation and the uh, chemo that she had. But God gave her all that time. One time we were rushed to the hospital and the EMS people came in, the, the nurses, the doctors, they said, get your things in order. You've got a pulmonary embolism, a blood clot in your lung. You could go at any time. And my wife held up her hand and she said, wait a minute. It's not time for me to go to see Jesus just yet. I got a grandbaby that's going to be born and she's not here yet and I'm going to see her. She did, and got to spend some time with her. But when my wife went through brain radiation, it put her in a wheelchair. I, was, I gave up my position at the college to roll my wife into class so she could teach. And my mother-in-law was living with us, and I had to help take care of her. People used to joke, we didn't used to have that many hurricanes till y'all moved to South Carolina. And it seemed like every fall, we were packing up and leaving for a hurricane. And when my wife was in a wheelchair, my mother-in-law had a wheelchair, and we had two little dogs, that was a fun adventure, especially trying to pack it up in this little SUV that we had. And there are times I can tell you that I cried out to God. I said, God, you said you would not put it in on anyone more than they could handle. And I'm telling you right now, Lord, I said, I'm helping my mother-in-law, I'm helping my wife. I gave up my, my job and I'm staying up all hours of the night, all hours of the morning, and I can't do this anymore. 
And God said, yes, you can. He says, in my strength, you can. And I can tell you, I used to visit people in hospice and in the hospital, and they would tell me how God carried them. And I would listen, and I would say, that's great. I, I believe that's great. But until you're really there and going through it, wow. That's when you really realize, yes, I can pick you up, and I can carry you. It's like my daughter's favorite, one of her favorite poems is that, footprints in the sand and when we go through difficult times it comes to the point of the poem where there's two sets of footprints it's like you're walking like a daughter walking with her dad or son or whatever and all of a sudden there's only one set of footprints and the question is what happened the question would be what happened jesus where'd you go and he said i'm still here i'm carrying you right now that's why there's only one set of footprints and i'm sure some of you can testify this morning how God has carried you and what He's brought you through. Let your gentleness, in verse 5, let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. That word gentleness, that's a tough one. Especially in this world when people can upset us so quick. Gentleness means to be reasonable with others, to be fair, to be charitable, and that doesn't mean just giving, but to help others, to give to others, not just in, in finances, but of our time. Any way that we can help others, treat others with kindness. And think about this. Can we always treat others with kindness when we're out here driving on the highways? That's tough. <laughs> it was tough for me this morning. I said, okay, Lord, help me. I thought it was going to be a quiet morning. They're already flying to their destination uh, wherever they needed to go. And we just ask for God to give us patience and help us to be kind and considerate because we never know when you're standing in that line at the grocery store and it's longer than you need it to be and you got somewhere else to go and somebody in front of you is really taking their time and talking to the cashier. Think about how we can be a witness, how we can make a difference. And I've caught myself, you know, being irritated in those situations. And then if you speak to someone and you take the time, says, hope you have a blessed day. Hope you're doing good today. Sometimes it just, wow, they just open up and they start telling you all kinds of stuff. And then you can say, I'll be praying for you on that. Then you can find out if they're in church. And, and so many things, so many doors can be open just because of how we're treating other people. As I, as I mentioned, that includes everybody in our own church and outside the church. The Lord is at hand. Anybody ever listen to David Jeremiah lately? He, he's nailing revelation to the wall, isn't he? The Lord is coming. And some people say, listen. You know, I, I'm in my 60s now. Some people say, listen. I've been hearing this my whole life since I was a little kid. Jesus is coming tomorrow. Jesus is coming tomorrow. He's not here yet, so I'm not worried about it. Well, the thing is, and the verse that really sticks with me and helps me with that is a thousand years to the Lord is as one day to us or turn it around one day to us, a thousand years to the Lord. Our clock is not His clock. Our time is not His time. And it could be tomorrow. It could be later. And the main thing He is saying is be ready. Always be ready. My wife, she used to write down songs and one that really stuck with me 
is please be ready was the name of it. And it says we set our thing, eyes on things of this world. You don't obey me. You don't even speak to me. Which means we don't spend time in prayer. We're not in his house as you are today. And we're not doing what the Lord tells us to do. We read accounts of that over and over in God's word. Where people, God's people did not obey him. And he has to bring them back and bring them back. When we focus on God and we obey Him, we will be eternally blessed for it. Always be ready and tell everyone you meet. Always be ready. The Lord is at hand. And I realized with my wife, she would make comments like, um, we'd be in the kitchen, I'd be talking to my mother-in-law, we'd be getting supper ready or whatever, and she would see the steam coming off the pot, and she'd say, Marvin, you know, i really been thinking about that. Our life is as a vapor. Look how quick that steam off the pot just goes away. And, just, and, I, and, after, and after my wife passed, I was like, wow, was God trying to give me a clue? Because in our plan, you know, God, we make our plans, but God directs our paths. In our planning and, and my family and people around us, they had set up my wife's care to be moved from MUSC Medical University in Charleston to Duke University. And they had met with her and set up a new treatment. And she had our first treatment in Charleston. And we were ready to be moved and sell our house, sell everything and move to North Carolina because all our family is in North Carolina. And they were looking forward to seeing her. And she said, Marvin, I'd like to, I'd like to have a salad tonight. And I ran out to Zaxby's five minutes away, come back. And my wife's kind of jerking. And she had seizures before, so I was like, well, she's having another seizure. And I called 911 and they tried to revive her and God had just taken her home that quick. And see, so many of us think that we're in control and we want to be in control, but we're not. And sometimes God has to remind us He's in control. But He means everything for our good. And when I tell you all of that, I'm not bitter. I'm not angry. I know where my wife is. I had a... She had um, made payments. All her life, she wanted a, a, a grand piano because she'd been playing since she was five years old. And we found a white used piano in Charleston that somebody had moved away. And we went in this piano store because one of her friends who teaches piano said, go to this store, just check it out. And my wife was wearing white top and white slacks that day. And we went around, she tried different pianos brown natural wood piano, black piano, and we all looked at the price tag. There's no way we're going to be affording anything in here even if we make payments on it. This isn't going to happen. And then she walked over to this white piano in the corner and said, oh yeah, that's a, that's a used piano that we have on consignment. Somebody had it sitting in their house and they moved away. And she started playing. And they said, um, she was playing hymns and songs that we sing in church like this morning praise songs. They said, would you mind if we record you and put this on our website? Because my wife, as you can imagine, she's sitting in a white and sitting at a white piano. And they said, yeah, this would be a good advertisement for us. But she was playing that, and, and they made a deal that worked out, and it came. It's, it's now at a church in Lenore now. But I saw the other day, I was um, listening to this new number one hit song, Praying Jesus Over You, Katie Nicole. Has anybody heard that song? It's a powerful song about prayer that she wrote in a prayer journal in her teenage years 
and she had scoliosis and she had back surgery. And I think she said three years she went through severe pain with that rod in her back and the screws. And then after three years, she said she met a doctor and they were going to take the screws and the rod out. And they said, we can't guarantee you this is going to be good. But this is really the last we have. And, and she's fine, of course. God worked a miracle. That's all the doctors could explain for her. But Katie Nicole is her name. It's praying Jesus over you. It's the number one Christian song they say right now. It comes on the radio a lot. But I was flipping through videos and she was sitting in white at a white piano. When I saw that the other day, I just had to cut it off. <laughs> and then God said, it's okay, Marvin, because your wife is in heaven playing that piano right now. He reassures us every day. So let your gentleness be known and the Lord is at hand. Let's move on to verse 6. He is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let our requests be made known to God. Be anxious for nothing. Does that sound impossible? For us it is. I mean, we have anxieties every day. In these first four chapters, Paul mentions being anxious because Epaphroditus had come from the people at Philippi to minister to Paul and he got sick near death. And as soon as he was well, Paul was sending him back and he says, I'm anxious to get him back to you, which I thought was interesting that Paul said that. And then he says, be anxious for nothing here in verse 6. But what he is saying is Paul had peace and hope. He may have been a little anxious for Epaphroditus getting back, but he knew no matter what happened, to Epaphroditus. He knew that his name was written in the book of life. And he had that hope. So we say, be anxious for nothing. Does it sound impossible? Well, as I told you in the beginning, I had a friend and she was laying in a hospital and she showed that. She was witnessing to the doctors and nurses when she didn't know how many days she had left. We have worries about our home situations, work, school, there's plenty of reasons for us to be anxious. But in everything, by prayer, remember that second point, finding joy by rejoicing, finding joy in praying. We need to spend time to talk to God. He knows everything on our heart. He knows what we need before we even ask Him. We hear that in church all the time. We hear it from God's Word. But the thing is, He wants to hear us voice it. And He wants to get us to the point where He can use us. Think of the life of Joseph. Think of the life of Moses. Joseph was put in slavery. Then he ended up in Egypt and under one of Pharaoh's officers. Then he's thrown in jail. And then he ends up being second in command over all of Egypt. It was all in God's plan. What about Moses? He ended up 40 years out in the desert. And then when God said it was time, He said, you're going to lead my people out of Egypt and you're going to go back through this very desert you've been spending 40 years in. God built Moses' character in that time. And God built Joseph's character in that time. And He has a way of building our character in molding us. God's Word says we're like a piece of pottery being formed just to be exactly what He wants us to be. And I was reading a devotion this morning that talks about how unique each and every person is. If every one of us put our fingerprint 
on a piece of paper, everyone would be different, right? And that's how unique an individual God has made us. I mean, have you ever looked at the intricate lines in a fingerprint and that God did that? And it's different for every person. It's not the same. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer. Worry less, pray more. Every time you get worried, start saying a prayer. Just pray. If you're driving, please keep your eyes open, okay? <laughs> you don't have to close your eyes to pray. And supplication, you say, what's that word supplication mean? To plead humbly. So many times we want to say a prayer and we hear, I prayed that prayer and God didn't answer it. I, I shared with Jeremy that I'd started my seminary training at Southwestern in Texas. My wife and I packed up everything we had in a little two-door car and off we went because that's where God wanted us to go. Because at the time I was in student ministry and that was the best program I could find to go to. But I had an alcoholic grandfather and I had been praying for him since I was a little kid. And he still was an alcoholic and I was told that he had emphysema because he'd worked in, in furniture all his life and he smoked, so he had more than one reason to have emphysema. And they call it COPD now, which kind of covers everything with lung disease. But God impressed on my wife and I that we needed to get back to see my grandfather before he passed away. And we, one Christmas we got up, we were going to leave that morning, and we couldn't get it off our minds, and we got up at 10 o'clock in Fort Worth in our little apartment, got in the car and packed it and drove to Asheville, North Carolina, and I think it was 20 hours to see my grandfather. And I can tell you, I remember it like it was yesterday. I sat on the edge of his bed, and I said, Grandfather, this is hard for me to ask because I've always looked up to you as your grandson. And I said, I just got to know that you know that you know that you know you're going to go to heaven. And he got real teary. My grandpa was in his 70s at this time. And he said, yes, Marvin, I know I'm going to heaven. And he pointed to the cross over his bed. He said, I have hope. And I know where I'm going. Wow. We moved back to North Carolina and all that process of my grandfather saying he's got one week left. Families called in, called in again, called in again. And that, that process went through and we realized we had to be closer to family. We moved back and then I enrolled in Southeastern Seminary to try to finish things up. But God always has a plan. No matter we think we've got it right, we think we've got it figured out. But supplication means to plead humbly over and over and over and over. It becomes a part of us. Don't ever give up. That was many, many, many years before my grandfather made it right with Jesus Christ. So pray continually with thanksgiving. And that's hard. This thing's worth thankful for and blessings in our life. That's probably the best way I've been told to handle that one. When things seem to overwhelm us and it seems like negativity is all around you, just stop. On your smartphone, on a piece of paper, whatever. Just start listing things you're thankful for. How many things are going good in your life? Start listing those all you can. Write them down so you can look at them every day. And every time Satan comes to attack you and tell you all that's wrong and all that's going bad in this world and 
my brother's job. He, he didn't know from one day to the next right now. He lives in Raleigh, near Raleigh. If he has a job today or tomorrow or next week, and all those who work with him, how do you keep going through that? You press on with thanksgiving and you let your requests made, be made to God, known to God every day. God knows all about it, yes, but He wants to hear from us. And then it says in verse 7, And then the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You notice how long it took there from verse 6, be anxious for nothing. But everything in prayer, supplication, pray, 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 pray every day, all the time. That our requests be made known to God and then the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. What about this peace? The world tries to tell us how to find peace. There's an advertisement now that comes on TV sometimes. Um, I have one of those ugly antennas outside my house and I get a antenna TV and a couple other channels. But <clears throat> I was watching antenna TV and a commercial comes on Calm. The name of it's Calm. Put this Calm app on your smartphone. And it's like sound of rain or the sound of crickets. And <clears throat> somebody heard that one time and said, that wouldn't make me go to sleep. That'd keep me awake. But uh, think about peace, true peace is not found just in positive thinking or just in good feelings or in that all the conflicts in our life and in our world would go away. True peace is in Jesus Christ. In John fourteen seven, Jesus says this, Peace I leave with you. Peace I give to you, not as the world gives. Do I give to you? That peace is only found in Jesus Christ. We know that, but sometimes we need to be reminded of that. And that peace will guard our hearts and our minds through Him. We know that Jesus is in control. No matter what goes on, no matter what Putin and Russia decides to do, no matter what else is going on in our world, ultimately, Jesus has the victory. And you'll hear strong Christians say all the time, Satan may have won this battle, but Jesus has the final say. Jesus has the victory. Our hope, our joy is in Jesus Christ. And all that He has done for us on that cross and that He rose again that glorious day, Easter wasn't that long ago. We should be celebrating Easter every day, all the time. All that He has done for us and He still is doing in our lives. Finally, Brothers and sisters, think about this in verse 8. Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, anything praiseworthy, then meditate on these things. So think about what is true. What we allow into our minds affects our words, our words and our actions. I know teachers used to tell us in elementary school, garbage in, garbage out. I remember being a picture on the, the board. Now, you know, it's 
don't have chalkboards anymore, but a you know, picture of a garbage can. Put garbage in a garbage can. What are you going to get out of it? Garbage. And we are not garbage cans. And we have to be careful what we put in our minds because it will affect. And I was reading and I've heard, and I heard um, when I shared this somewhere else before, somebody said our family uses that. That's a filter. Verse 8 is a filter for our family and everything we do. These, these words in verse 8, these guidelines, use it as a filter in your lives for the choices that we make. What we watch, what we listen to, what we read, what we spend more time, spend more time reading God's Word. Hope, hopefully you don't need to change that smartphone out. But if you have to, I mean, do whatever it is. You know, I mean, Greg Laurie says, use a dumb phone. I have a dumb TV. <laughs> It's not, I have internet, but I, I don't have cable. But we have to make choices. Whatever works for us. It may not work for everybody, but whatever works for you. Make those choices for you and your family. Spend time reading God's Word. Now, I can't say that I've done it throughout my ministry years or throughout my Christian years. I was saved at 12. But now, every time I get up, the first thing I want to do is read from God's Word. And I have devotions that I, that I read and people that write devotions that I follow. And at night, sometimes it's hard depending on how late you go to bed. But I try to read Scripture before I fall asleep. And it's helped me a lot because the first thing on my mind when I get up, God's Word. I have Pandora on my phone. Sometimes I fall asleep listening to Christian music on the Pandora. You can set the timer. Whatever works for you. I'm telling you what works for me. But just put some steps in place to help, to help us. So we can be careful what we're watching. Be careful what we listen to. There's all kinds of guidelines for movies and TV for Christian families. Turn the TV off. Limit internet time. Another, um, what do you call it? Four letters. It's not an acrostic, but H-A-L-T. Are the letters halt. And you may have heard this before, but it says when you're getting ready to make a decision, sometimes even a small decision, think about the word halt, which means stop. Slam on the brakes before you decide anything. And it says, especially don't make decisions when you're hungry, H, angry is the letter A, lonely, the letter T, and then tired for the letter T. So halt, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Sometimes you may have all of those. Just stop, step back. I know my wife and I, we always had this rule of thumb. If we were ever going somewhere, no matter what we were looking at, and somebody was pressuring us to make a decision, no matter what it was, we said, we've already decided before we came here and we will go home and pray about this, and we'll let you know. Well, this is the best deal. It's going to be gone before you come back tomorrow. Sorry. You have to make that choice before you get there, because they sure will twist your arm and talk you into it right then. And it may, it may work out okay, but then it may not. And I have just found that's a good policy to have. Walk away, pray about it, think about it, and then come back to it. You can't hardly go wrong with that. Sometimes you're blessed even more from what you thought was the best deal. 
you may find even better. So whatever things are true, and read, going back over these words, noble, just, pure, lovely, good report, virtue, virtue, if there's anything at all praiseworthy in all of this that we're thinking about, then meditate on it. Slow down. Spend some time thinking about it. 2 Timothy 3.16 We had a one at East Taylor's form. This was uh, their main verse of Scripture. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. It tells us everything that God's Word is good for. It's like you get a car and you get a manual. My dad got a car a while back, a Toyota, and had, I think, more than one book came with it. He's like, Marvin, I can't read all this stuff. <laughs> he said, I'm just, I'm just going, my dad's 84. I guess I'm just going to figure it out as I go. We'll just turn it on. We'll just figure it out. I mean, he read a few things, I think, here and there. But this is our manual. And it's not stacked three and four high. Take time to read from it every day because there's guidelines and there's things to help us make decisions each and every day in God's Word. So slow down. Spend some time thinking about verse 8 and all those things that Paul reminded us of. These things, Paul says, which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. There he says it again. Do this, and then you will have peace. Then the God of peace will be with you. And we know when Paul says all this, who did he pattern his life after? Ever since he was on that Damascus road and the blinding light knocked him on the ground and he was blinded. And that's for all of us. When we come out of sin, we were once blind, but now we see. And Paul was one to testify of that literally. So Paul patterned his life in view of Jesus Christ. And Paul's former visitor refers to, to the Philippians. When I was here before, remember what I taught you. Remember how you saw me live, which reiterates how Christians ought to walk and ought to live. And the peace of God will be with you. A quote that somebody gave me that I'm not sure where it come from, came from, I'm just going to call it anonymous. The will of God will never take you where the grace of God cannot keep you. My wife heard that somewhere and she reminded me of that many times during our time in South Carolina. The will of God will never take you where the grace of God cannot keep you. He is always, always there for you. So find our joy in rejoicing. Rejoice anyway, even if it hurts, because if you go to the Lord and praise, if you fall at the altar in tears and hurt and pain and start praising Him, you're going to end up rejoicing. Find that joy in spending time talking to God. Let Him know your hurts and your pains. And reading, spending time in His Word. And there's so many ways we can read His Word now with all the... Uh, electronic devices that we have with iPads and phones and everything else. We can take God's Word any, anywhere we go with us and have it with us. True joy is, quite, is Christ dwelling inside of you and dwelling inside of me. I have that peace. I have that hope. And I hope that everyone here does this morning.
Do you feel like you've lost your joy? Then give Christ your all, all your worries, all your fears, all your troubles. Give it all to Him. Do that today. Don't wait. Tell your friends and family when you leave this place the same thing. Jesus Christ gave the ultimate sacrifice for freedom, for our sin. My father-in-law was a World War II veteran. Came home with a purple heart. And I never got to meet him because he had passed away when he came home from an aneurysm. On his, he was riding his tractor when my wife was a senior in high school. But he was brought home just to tell you the grace of God and that God is in control. I was born in Germany. At three months old, I turned blue. And my, my mom stepped in the room and family picked me up and they rushed me to the hospital there in Germany. And they said that I was going to survive. And thankfully, I got, they got me there in time. My dad was called back to the base and he had to leave. And the car broke down. The car that took me to the hospital, as soon as dad left to go back to the base, the car broke down. And when I was around 12, when I, <clears throat> excuse me, when I was around 12 and accepted Christ, my mom shared that story with me. And she said, I prayed a special prayer over you that God would use you because he kept you here. My wife that I met at Appalachian, her dad survived World War II, Battle of the Bulge. He was drug out of a trench because somebody was walking through and found that he was still alive. He recovered in a hospital in Germany. And thankfully that he went home, my wife was born. Not only that, they wanted to, the doctor advised her mom not to have her because she had a, a tumor inside her womb. And her mom said, I'm going to have this baby. And then I was going to go to state. My wife was going to go to Mars Hill. We both ended up at Appalachian. God has a plan. No matter what we're trying to do or trying to figure out, God has a plan. He loves you and He cares for you. Music team, if you'll come up and lead us to worship, I'll close us in prayer as you're coming up. Gracious Father,